0: Quick disclaimer, there's some stronger than usual violence this week, and the mention of sexual assault. Check out the post on MythPodcast.com for more information. This week, on Myths and Legends, we're wrapping up the story of Gretti the Strong, where we'll learn that insult poetry only gets you in trouble, that apparently trees can be evil, and that you shouldn't throw rocks at witches. Because then they'll send the evil trees after you. The creature this week tells you what happens when you pick up that snail monster, doing exotic dancing on the waves. It doesn't end well for you. Don't do that, why would you do that? This is Myths and Legends, episode 170B, on a long enough timeline. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you but are definitely worth a listen. Previously on the podcast, we told the story of Grettir. Grettir was a legendary Icelandic outlaw who was cursed with bad luck after he killed a giant zombie named Glam. Glam's face would haunt him by night and make it so he was terrified to be alone on one of his trips. He was incorrectly implicated in the deaths of some of the sons of Thorir when they accidentally burned down their own hut. Because of this, he would earn the ire of their powerful father and become an outlaw in Iceland. My name is Thorbjorn Ox. You killed my brother. Prepare to die. Uh, okay, some notes, atli replied, pinching the bridge of his nose. One, my brother, Grettir, the guy who does all the killing, killed your brother, who I guess is also named Thorbjorn. Two, why are you guys named the same thing? That's really confusing from a storytelling and just a family logistics standpoint. Oh, he's Thorbjorn Traveler and your Thorbjorn Ox? Oh, okay, that makes much more sense. Atli, Asmund's second son, and the heir to Grettir's family farm, had been stopped on the road, where he was traveling with his brother-in-law and some farmhands. Thorbjorn Ox was the brother of the guy Grettir killed in that longhouse last week. Thorbjorn Traveler, who told him his father had died from smoke inhalation. Well, he received a surprise visit from two of the brothers of the guys who died in that hut fire last week, the one for which Grettir was about to become permaband from Iceland. Gunnar and Thorgir wanted to take their revenge against the guy who had allegedly killed their brothers, but not directly against that guy who allegedly killed their brothers. The Draugr, Bear, and Berserker killing wonderkind. His Stardew Valley-esque civilian brother though? Oh yeah, he's the one. They're going to get him. Atlee, Gradier's brother, realized that these men couldn't be bargained with. He said that this would be quick. Gradier was more used to mighty deeds than he was. They came for blood, but there was no reason they should shed any of the farmhands. Atlee offered to let the farmhands go, have it be three against two, the anti-Grettir posse refused and attacked. Grimm, Atli's brother-in-law, ended the battle with an axe between his shoulder blades. One of the sons of Thorir died, and about half of the farmhands slash assassins on either side were left bleeding on the road. Grettir's misfortune wasn't just his anymore. It was seeping out into the lives of the people he cared about. And even though Atli survived the attack, he wondered what else Grady would bring on them before the end. The day Attlee died was a rainy one. There was a knock on the door. Atli answered, and Thorbjorn Ox stabbed him through with a spear. Atli, blood dribbling from his mouth, looked at the spear on his stomach and reportedly remarked that broad spears were in fashion these days before dropping to his knees. Thorbjorn kicked him back and pulled the spear from his body. He mounted his horse and looked at the shocked household. In the pouring rain, he announced his name and that he was responsible for the killing. If anyone wanted to come for him, they knew where he lived. Thorbjorn Ox knew exactly what he was doing. Since the killing had resulted from the killing of his brother, Thorbjorn Traveler, No charges were brought against him at the Althing, the meeting of the lawmakers that summer, and it was up to Grettir to respond to the killings by demanding a guild, a man price as compensation, or compensation by blood. Grettir had to be in Iceland to do so, but there was something else happening at the Althing that would make that a little difficult. Thorir, a prominent Icelandic landowner, and the father of all those guys who were burned, stood at the Althing and called for Grettir become an outlaw. For all the flack that Vikings get from the rest of Europe, I've probably been the most surprised by how much of these sagas are legal proceedings, and just cut by random troll or drogger battles. Anyway, outlawing someone in absentia is something that should not have happened in 10th century Iceland. Even for a time when you could legally murder someone if you owned up to it and could pay the price, you couldn't just exile someone based on hearsay from traveling merchants. But, as we've talked about everyone thought they knew the type of man Grettier was. Sure, he killed berserkers and draugger, but even a rabid dog bites the right person sometimes. And Grettier, well, Grettier was a rabid dog. The last time he was outlawed, it wasn't for killing the 12 kids of one of the island's most powerful chieftains. And he had his father providing political cover, whether Grettier asked for it or not. Now, his family was decimated, reduced to only his grieving mother, sisters, and brother, Eluji, who was barely old enough to form sentences, let alone defend him in court. Thorir pressed the all thing hard, calling in all of his favors. By the end of the all thing, it was unanimous. This rabid dog needed to be put down. Grettir was declared an outlaw throughout Iceland. He could be hunted and killed by anyone. And Thorir, one of the richest men in the country, put a price on his head. It's said that most knew Thorier was acting more out of anger than respect for the law, but none could stand against him. Cartier's mother opened her eyes. She smiled. How long have you been here? She asked the figure in the black cloak at the corner of her room. Freddy replied that he had been in Iceland for two days in his mother's house for two minutes. He had learned of the news from passing traders and slipped away from his men at the last port before home. Stealing a boat to land on the beach at night led to stealing a horse to ride in the darkness to Bjarg, his childhood home. Because of Glam's glowing eyes and sinister maul, he didn't sleep much these days anyway. He had made it home without anyone knowing he was back. He started to tell his mother that he didn't do it he didn't burn those guys, but she only held up a hand. She didn't care. He was her son, and she loved him. The two sat together for a long time. A few days later, Thorbjorn Ox was working in the field with his son when a rider approached. The man was massive. He knew what this was. He knew that Grettir had finally come to make him answer for Atli. Thorbjorn handed his son the axe. Okay, now is the time do it like they practiced. His son, who couldn't have been older than 15, nodded and disappeared into the forest. Grettir didn't speak, but immediately threw his spear at Thorbjorn. The man dodged it, picked up his own sword and shield, and readied himself for the onslaught of Grettir coming at him at full charge. If this was going to go the way he hoped though, he would never have to deal with Grettir. Grettir drew his short sword, and Thorbjorn parried the first couple of blows. When Gratir felt it, behind him, he bashed Thorbjorn with his shield, and Thorbjorn reeled. And the next instant, without even a look, Grettir struck back, sending his sword straight through the head of Thorbjorn's 15 year old son. With Thorbjorn's son's blood on him, Grettir wrenched the sword free and turned to the father. Thorbjorn raised his shield, but even that didn't protect him. Grettir's sword split the shield and then split Thorbjorn. It was over. Atlee had been avenged. Afterward, Grettir rode into town, announcing that he, Grettir, had killed Thorbjorn, and taken revenge for his brother. This was done because he had enough problems, and if you killed someone in response to another killing, and took responsibility for it, didn't try to hide it, you were generally good, and I, there's a lot of caveats with that, but in general, he wouldn't have to worry about this killing. I mean, You'd have angry kinsmen coming after you, wanting you to make restitution with blood or gold, but legally it probably wouldn't be held against you. Regardless, Grettir was still an outlaw, with the highest bounty in Iceland's history on his head. A bounty that could lead to trouble for his mother, and young brother, the only people he still cared about in this world. So, without even a goodbye, Grettir rode west across the moors. (laughs) "'Guys,' Gretier said, as he saw the farmers who thought they were being sneaky, merge from the forest. There were dozens of them now, then more. "'Guys, what are you doing?' "'Look, okay, okay, I'm setting down my weapons, but you don't want to do this.' He had only been in this land for a few seasons after leaving the house of the law speaker and family friend, Skafti. "'You've stolen from us for the last time,' the lead farmer said, gripping his hoe. Gretier stood. "'Stolen?' What? No! They gave him those provisions and animals and money after he rode up to their houses fully armed and armored and towering and oh, okay, I see it now. Wow, yeah, he was one of those guys. Look, it was an honest mistake, and seriously, Bjorn, if you come one step closer, I'm going to roundhouse kick you in the head. I can do that, okay? And it will not feel good. The farmer yelled back that his name wasn't Bjorn. Okay, then Thor something. Seriously, stop. You know what? okay. You brought this on yourself. The story says that Gretier kicked two of the farmers in the head and knocked them unconscious before the group, numbering at least two dozen, piled on him, pinning him to the ground. Still, even with the farmers on him, Gretier was able to rise to his knees. But the farmers had come prepared for that as well. They looped ropes around his arms and legs, looped them again, and just kept looping them. I mean, when you're tying up a famous Viking outlaw, the more loops the better. Make that guy look like an old-timey damsel in distress tied to a railroad track. What I'm saying is, there should be more rope than outlaw. So that's what they did. They had him subdued, and it took half a dozen of them to drag the man back to town. But they did it. Gratier the Strong had been captured, not by bounty hunters, trolls, or berserkers, but by a couple dozen normal people, who were tired of him accidentally extorting money and supplies out of them. He spent most of that winter being dragged in between houses. And even though the farmers had basically done the impossible by catching Grettier, they had no idea he was a wanted man with a price on his head. So they were only keeping him alive to execute him when things warmed up a bit. If it seems a bit ridiculous to feed and shelter someone only to summarily execute them, well, yeah, and the farmers figured that out as well, since Grettier was draining the provisions of any house that kept him. So when it wasn't quite early spring, they built some gallows and readied the rope. Grettier only got the 11th hour pardon when the wife of a visiting couple realized that, hey, that's Grettier. He's the member of a powerful family back east. Maybe not a great idea to straight up kill him. So, of course, they let him go. He had to swear an oath not to cause trouble in the region of Isafjord again. Because outlaw murderers just can't say things that aren't true, they cut Grettier loose. The story praises him for not straight up murdering everyone in attendance. And, asked later about his time in Isafjord, he composed a poem about it, where he talks about those old hogs, quote, grabbing hold of his head bones. Yeah, they can't all be winners. Grettir's eyes stared at the fire. No. Not yet. It was a couple years later, and he was alone in his hut. For a time after being captured by the farmers, he fell to robbing people on the road. The problem with wrongfully declaring someone like Gretier an outlaw was, devoid of any possible legitimate way of earning a living, he might actually become an outlaw. For a summer, Gretier, having been turned away by every friend he or his family had in the country and not wanting to put his few remaining family members in danger by his presence, he began stopping horses on a desolate road, asking for... assistance. The vast majority read the implication of Grettir's plea for help, and for the others, well, Grettir simply held the horse in place, and robbed them. Something about this felt wrong, though. Probably because it was wrong, and so Grettir left the forest. He sold what he stole for an axe and a hammer, and headed for the mountains. The building went quickly because Grettier didn't sleep. He kept his fire blazing to keep the darkness and the eyes away. When it was done, he collapsed in his new home, the exhaustion taking him before Glam's face could appear when he closed his eyes. And so, that's how Grettier lived. As Glam predicted, he lived alone, out of doors, but that way was the best. That way he couldn't hurt anyone. and No one could hurt him. By day he fished, so he didn't have to steal. And by night he stared at the fire until morning came, so he didn't have to look into the cursed, cackling face of Glam. The more exhausted he was, the less likely he was to see the face of the draugr that cursed him. What was worse though, was being alone. Alone, he began to hear Glam's faint chuckle in the back of his mind. Even during the day, Gretier knew that it was only a matter of time until he saw the monster's face when he was awake. Then he would be truly lost. Gretier heard a pounding at the door and rose. The door swung open and a man nearly the size of Gretir with a flowing red beard stood in the entrance. He said that he was an outlaw too. He wanted to know if he could stay here and work for Gretir. Gretier asked what would keep Redbeard from killing him and collecting his bounty Redbeard cocked an eyebrow. the uh, his own massive bounty, for starters? Also, he would never betray a master. He said it was bad to be a bad man. Bad men were judged to be like even worse men. Grettier sighed. Yeah, I mean, they had said pretty much the same thing. He pointed to the piles of bones that the birds were still picking at. The ones who had also come for Grettier. Then he heard the low rumble of Glam's chuckle. He grabbed the door to hide his trembling. He turned to Redbeard. Okay, come on in. It's hard to kill a man who doesn't sleep. A fact that Redbeard learned over the next few weeks. And a frustration he experienced over the next two years. On the rare instance when Grethir did sleep, he was asleep after his outlaw roommate and awake before him. Thorier, the man who had hired Redbeard for this job, had promised him not only Grettier's bounty, but the remission of his own outlaw status. Grettier, though, was making Redbeard work for it. Then, Redbeard's break came. One morning, when a storm hit, Redbeard looked outside. He slipped out while Grettier was eating breakfast. Fish, again. And Grettier could almost hear the outlaws smashing their boat and flinging their nets out into the lake. I can't swim, Redbeard said if they wanted their nets back, someone had to go to the middle of the lake. Gretier looked at the boat, looked at the hut. Bad storm, huh? There was a small track of land that jutted out into the lake and Gretier knew that Redbeard was watching where he placed his weapons on the ground. Stripped down, Gretier took a deep breath and dove. Swimming out into the middle of the lake, Gretier once again submerged. He looked up. In a wavy silhouette, Redbeard stood with the outlaw's short sword. Grettier grabbed the net, and swam. Redbeard had gone for the blade, the minute Grettier went underwater. He knew that he had a fight ahead of him, but he had the outlaw basically naked and unarmed. It wasn't a question of if he would kill Grettier, but when. Then, Redbeard felt the kick, and the back of his knees gave out. People seem to forget that Grettier might not be lucky, but he's smart you don't survive as long as him without being prepared for everything. And living alone on the mountain without people or books or sleep, Grettir had a lot of time to think. The lake connected via underwater cave to a cove a few paces away from the edge of the lake. Grettir swam there, came ashore, and simply walked up to where Redbeard was waiting for him. The sword shorg clanged from Redbeard's grip and Grettir used it to behead Redbeard without a word. As he dragged Redbeard to the forest, Grettir shuddered he suspected just weeks in that Redbeard had been sent by Thorier. But living with an outlaw waiting for him to slip up to kill him, well, that was better than the alternative. Better than the laughter of glam that now echoed in his mind. We'll continue on Grettir's
1: slow descent into destruction, but that will be right after this.
0: Gretier abandoned his home the following summer. There wasn't much left to abandon. After Thorir heard that Redbeard had failed, he rode at the head of 30 men to finally find and kill Grettir. Only Thorir and 12 of his men made it out of their ambush alive. Gretir was wounded, but his home, tools, and rebuilt boat were all lost in the battle. Traveling once again with just a sword and a cloak, he made his way south. So, over the next few years, Grettir makes a lot of different stops on his journey. He goes south to a Jarl who was known for sheltering outlaws. Why he didn't go there first, I have no idea. And the deal was this. Gretier would be allowed to stay there if he helped out with some eh, housekeeping. Basically, the Jarl had some unruly landowners, and Gretier settled right next to them and was encouraged to be Gretier. And he was. Lots more killing and some light flaying and sheep theft and Grettir made even more enemies. And because there's no such thing as too much self-destruction, he also made the enemy of the Jarl, who was sheltering him. So, once again, Grettir was back on the road. He meets up and leaves groups of outlaws over the next few years, and people filtered in and out of Grettir's life the way they always did. Soon, he was alone again, except that he was never alone. There, in the back of his mind, was always glam, laughing, And waiting for the moment, Grettier closed his eyes. So Grettier sought people out. Even though he knew it would end the same way every time. Violence and death. Everyone he got close to, whether an enemy or a friend, shared in his curse. But Grettier continued on. Then he heard of the trolls. It was the same situation as before. A farmer and his family were being terrorized by monsters. One Christmas, the husband stayed home instead of going to Christmas Mass. His wife returned later on that night to an empty house. She thought he had abandoned his family until the following Christmas when a farmhand stayed behind to watch the house. They returned to a door swinging open, coated with the spatter of blood. The farmhand gone. So, the following Christmas, Grettier stayed behind. The woman didn't even know he was going to do it. He was simply a stranger who nodded to them on the road as they went to Christmas Mass. They came home to find their house half destroyed, and a troll's arm laying in a pool of blood, with Grettir unconscious on their front lawn. They dragged him inside, and Grettir gripped the woman's hand. The priest. Send for the priest. We don't know why Grettir wanted the priest, or what he said to the man, but we do know that the priest emerged, and informed the woman and her daughter, that this was Grettir the Strong, the most wanted man in Iceland but no one else needed to know that while he was here he would go by the name of guest g e s t and they would give him everything he needed grettier explained that it was a lucky break that he got a short sword out and cut the troll's arm off she had been trying to drag grettier back to her lair and to do so she pulled him through the door taking the door frame with it when he managed to cut her arm off she fled into the waterfall the woman looked to the waterfall The one right there? Right next to our house? There's been trolls living in there this whole time? Grettir nodded. Yep, and he was going in after them. A few days later, the priest helped Grettir loop the rope around the stone at the top of the waterfall and gave the nod to the warrior, who gripped the rope and jumped off said waterfall, the troll inside barely had any chance to react, but Grettier had swung in ready. The troll did pretty much exactly what I would have done if I saw a Viking warrior Indiana Jonesing into my waterfall home. He shrieked, ran a little, and died with Grettir's short sword in his chest. The priest, standing at the top of the waterfall, saw the water start to flow red with blood. So, of course, Grettier must be dead. Ah, bummer he cut the rope off and went home. Which was why he was surprised when the next day Gretier arrived at the church and said basically, really? He had to climb up a wet waterfall with a bag on his back. The priest couldn't have just left the rope there? The priest apologized but also, bag? With a scowl, Gretier dropped the bag. He said it was for burial in the church cemetery. It was the remains of the farmer and the farmhand priest nearly cried he was so happy, hugging Gretir, who was visibly uncomfortable throughout the whole thing. He patted the priest on the back. That, okay, that was enough. Nope, still going? Fun. The priest told him that he was a great man. There had been so many disappearances in this valley. These people would have peace because of him. He swallowed hard and rose. He was just doing it for the challenge, He was just a good-for-nothing outlaw. The priest rose with him and offered a hand, saying simply that he didn't believe that, and Grettier shouldn't either. Iceland is about the size of New York State, so while it's not small, it's not exactly massive it definitely wasn't big enough for a man the likes of Grettir to disappear forever, no matter how hard he tried. And he did try. After the incident with the trolls and the chat with the priest, he stopped robbing people. He resolved to live alone, without violence. But, his past hunted him. Thorier was getting older, and before he died, he wanted justice for all the sons he had lost to Grettir and his family. Grettir could only stay in one desolate, forgotten place after another for a few months before Thorir's assassins came knocking. Before Skafti, the law speaker, died. He did have Grettir back one last time, saying that no one would take him in now. The only option for him was to live in a place where he wouldn't fear for his life. There was such a place. On an island in Skagafjord. It was called Drangi. and it could only be ascended with a ladder. It would be impossible to overcome someone on that mountain. Grettir sat back. He would like to try it, but... He couldn't bear to be alone anymore, even if his life depended on it. Skafti looked at him seriously. That may be, but never have greater faith in anyone other than yourself. Many people are not all that they seem. Grettir thought about it. He would not go on living if the price was being alone. There were precious few people he still had faith in. He would go visit two of them. Gretier's brother was coming with him. Gradier had gone back to Bjarg, back home. He had done it in secret. The killings had continued in his absence, and he wasn't sure they would hesitate to kill his mother if he stayed for too long. They were leaving for Drangy, the island, together. He told his mother the predicament, and the now teenage Luji had begged to go with him. Astus, their mother, hung her head. He could go. There was nothing she could do to stop him. She regretted seeing him leave, but it was what she wanted, if it makes Gretier's lot better than before. She held it together, until that day on the road, the mother's cloak blowing in the wind, as it had on that day nearly 20 years prior. She broke down. She said she had had dreams, and their deaths would be the saddest of all. But no one could avoid what is ordained. She would never see either of them again. They will both perish by weapons in Drangy though her dreams told her they should be wary of sorcery. Few things were mightier than sorcery. She burst out crying, but Grettir comforted her. If they were killed, it would be said of Asdis that she had sons, not daughters. Which, yeah, way to kind of botch the tearful goodbye scene with casual sexism, (laughs) Grettir. "'Hi, who are you and why are you here?' Grettir and his brother heard from below. Grettir leaned over and took another ladder up and out of reach the farmers below. His name was none of their business. Now, shove off. Like, literally shove off. This was his island. All in all, things were going really well on Drangy. They left Bjarg, picked up a wisecracking slave named Glom on the way, and bribed a local landowner to row them to the island.' It was like a rock wall jutting straight out of the bay, which was virtually inaccessible without a ladder, a fact that all the farmers from the surrounding lands found. When Grettir kept taking their ladders, they said they were here for their sheep herd. They lived on Drangy throughout the year, and the farmers would come to get them for their slaughter. Grettir and Eluji looked back to the sheepfold. That was less than three quarters full. Oh, those belong to someone. The farmer sighed, Yes, they did. Okay, look, here's the deal. There were laws. The farmer split this island among them for their livestock. Gretier could keep the sheep he already killed for free if he just left and never came back. Gretier, happy for the first time in, I don't know, 15 years, narrowed his eyes. Okay, how about this? He keeps the sheep he already killed, stays here, and also keeps all the other sheep. The farmer said that that was a terrible deal. Grettir's eyes widened. He couldn't hear them. They accepted the deal. Awesome. Thanks, guys. After taking three more ladders from the frustrated farmers, Grettir chuckled as he watched them go. Eluji said that that was a bad idea. But Grettir could only shrug. What were they going to do? They were just farmers. I mean, they were and they weren't. In one of the more unsavory Viking family stories, Thorbjorn Hook, yes, Another Thorbjorn, and no, there's no relation, was the eldest son of a faraway landowner. His father had remarried later on in life, so his wife wasn't the man's mother. The stepmom, though, hated Thorbjorn Hook for being, quote, difficult, ruthless, and brutal. I mean, if those are the three words that come to mind when it comes to describing your spouse's large adult son, you might be justified in disliking him. I don't think you'd be justified, however, for thinking that he's so lazy playing his board games with his friends, that you take a game piece and gouge out one of his eyes with it. Horrifyingly violent mistakes were made by all, though, because Thorbjorn leapt to his feet and beat his stepmother so badly that she was confined to a bed and died. Also, they think she was pregnant at this time. He took his inheritance and moved to the region around Skagafjord, setting up a farm, And he was one of the people whose sheep Grettir had just stolen. Thorbjorn had an idea, though. As the months passed, and it became clear that Grettir was entrenched on the island, the island became more and more worthless. So Thorbjorn Hook bought the other shares for practically nothing. Then, he plotted. He wouldn't have to plot hard, though. Because for as intelligent as Grettir was, he kind of wasn't one for planning ahead. By year two, almost all the sheep were gone except for one old fat ram who was basically tame. It just sat outside their hut and they made fun of it. I mean, I guess there wasn't much to do on this island. One night, Glom was supposed to be watching the fire. They had so little wood on the fire that they were down to burning driftwood. Glom fell asleep and the fire went out, burning the last of their wood to ash. Winter was coming and they needed wood, so someone had to go to land. And since they didn't have a boat, someone needed to swim. It was nearly four miles to land, and the epic Viking outlaw sighed. He stripped down. So, this is kind of a tangential story, but I'm including it because, while I'm personally invested in Gretier's redemption arc, he's committed to burning all goodwill to the ground, even mine. When he made it to shore, he passed out in some workhouse, when the women arrived the next morning, his clothes had fallen off of him in the night and revealed everything. And the women laughed. They knew this was Grettir the Strong and for as big as he was, they weren't expecting more. Like, a lot more. Then, Gretir's eyes snapped open. He caught one of the serving women by the wrist and pulled her back into the room. Slamming the door shut behind them. It said that when she left, she wasn't laughing anymore. These men are brave, but fortune does not go with them. The like crone in the bottom of the boat said to Thorbjorn Hook You see, Thorbjorn Hook had a foster mother who was still apparently speaking with him after what he did to his stepmother. She was a witch, and the story makes it clear that witchcraft was still legal in Iceland at this time if he practiced it in private. Well, things were about to get a little public because Thorbjörn went to mom and said, hey, there's the squatter I'm dealing with. Mind cursing him a little? His foster mother said she would check it out. And check it out she did. Thorbjörn went to the island, and he and Gredir got in a shouting match like they always did but she laid in the boat, studying Grettier. When they rowed away, she did a dramatic reveal and pulled the blanket back. It's cursing time. I curse you, Grettier, to be deprived of all favor, endowments, and fortune, all defense and wisdom, the more so the longer you live. Grettier held up a fist. Ah, witchcraft. He turned to Eluji. What did mom warn us about? Witchcraft, Eluji replied. And what is that old woman doing to us? he asked. Uh, witchcraft. <laughs> I'm gonna get her, Gretier said, and picked up a boulder. Uh, he's picking up a boulder, Thorbjorn's buddy said to him. There's like no way he can hit us here, right? Thorbjorn asked, before shrieking. In an instant, they learned two things. First, that Gretier could hit them. And second, that his aim was remarkable. He hit Thorbjorn's foster mom's blanket, crushing her legs. They saw Grettir and Eluji high-five on the cliffs as they rode as fast as they could away from Drangy. That's an evil tree, Grettir said, looking at the tree that had washed ashore. What are
1: you doing? Don't touch it.
0: Eluji said that they really needed firewood, and besides, how could a tree be evil? They are at worst chaotic neutral. Gradier said, oh, I don't know, maybe it's the sinister runes carved in the side of it, smeared with witch blood. Eluji looked down. Huh. Yeah, gross. Okay, let's toss it back. It was later on that night that Eluji and Glom heard Gradier yell, Glom, where did you get this wood? Glom replied that he got it from the beach, like all the wood. Gradier asked, did it look like a horror movie, like with blood and creepy writing? Glom said he didn't know, he'd never seen a movie, and barely even saw the log. They always made him go out at night looking for wood. What made him think that it was, like, sinister? Gradier stepped in the hut. Well, he took one swing at it, and this happened. They saw a stake buried in his thigh to the bone he yanked it out and stopped the bleeding. Evil tree. And it was an evil tree. Even though Gretir didn't feel the initial wound, in two weeks' time, his leg was bloated and dark blue. At this time, Glom, their wise-cracking slave, had one job. Well, beyond not bringing evil trees home, he just had to pick up the ladders after he used them. That was it. Of course, with his outlaw master recovering, or circling the drain, Glom went to the ladder and took a nap. He awoke to Thorbjorn Hook slapping the side of his head with the flat edge of his sword. He gasped and sang. He told them everything about the layout of the hut, Gretir's illness, and even what weapons they had on hand. The attackers, of course, beat him for betraying his master. Grettir the Strong died at age 45. He had lived a violent, cursed life, and he died a violent, cursed death. Thorbjorn lost three friends when they stormed the hut. They lost one subduing and three more trying to take down the flailing Grettir. Despite not even being able to stand, Grettir fought. And it wasn't until the invaders dismembered the walls and roof of his hut and attacked him from all sides that he finally fell. It's said that they stabbed him until he didn't bleed anymore, and they cut off his head to collect the bounty. They offered Eluji his life if he swore to forget about the witchcraft, and not come after them. He sighed. They knew he couldn't promise that. They respected his decision, and took him out so he could watch the sunset one last time, before they cut off his head. Grady the Strong, who was so afraid of being alone in life, wasn't alone in death he was buried next to his brother on For all of his faults, he was finally able to rest without Glam's eyes looking at him. And, of course, not a day after Thorbjorn left the island, a messenger arrived from Bjarg, Grenier's hometown. It was over. His mother and the law speakers had successfully appealed, showing how it was illegal for a man to spend more than 20 years as an outlaw. Greta had only needed to survive a few more weeks, and he would be freed of it all. He would have been able to return home, and live his life in peace. Thorbjorn immediately went to Thorir to collect the bounty, but word traveled quickly. I mean, Thorbjorn Hook must have been live tweeting the attack or something, because I have no idea how Thorir heard about the attack, and that it was carried out on a man already dying from sorcery. Regardless, Thorir refused to pay, an action that Thorbjorn Hook warned him he would regret that summer, at the All-Thing. This was not the case. More time only gave rumors air to breathe. And by the time the All-Thing happened, and thanks in no small part to a kind of killer speech by Aldous, Greider and aluji's mom, the whole assembly turned against Thorbjorn Hook. They said it was no wonder Greider and Aluji were so brave. Just look at their mother. Because of Thorbjorn's illegal use of witchcraft, Thorbjörn not only got witchcraft completely outlawed in Iceland, but he got himself branded an outlaw and was driven from his home, lest Asdis and any surviving family member be allowed to seek retribution. And they did. It turns out Grettir had a half-brother that followed the man all the way to Constantinople to the tryouts for the guards of the Byzantine Emperor, and he buried a sword in Thorbjörn's head, down to the man's jaw. Finally, the long road of violent retribution, that had been sparked by Gretier's inadvertent troll cosplay, and the accidental burning of 12 people... was complete. I so badly wanted Gretier to have a redemption arc. I wanted him to just... look out on the sunset close his eyes, for once free of the grinning face of Glam, I wanted him to finally find his rest as a changed character. But, I suppose it's too much to ask for a character to be heroic by our modern definition of heroism, especially because he wasn't even heroic by his own time's definition of heroism. According to legend, Grettir Esmonderson holds the record for the longest time spent as an outlaw, almost 20 years, which, yeah, I guess in the end, he might not have been a hero, but he was the best at something, even if it was the best at being the worst. If you'd like to support the show and get some cool stuff, the Myths and Legends store is back up and running. We have new shirts and new colors, a Rules of Myths and Legends t-shirt, and awesome sticker packs with cool art of Baba Yaga, the Buttercat, and the Clarycon, leprechaun's drunk cousin. You can find the store at mythpodcast.com slash store or follow the link in the show notes. The creature this week is the sazioni from Japanese folklore. Its name literally means turban snail demon. When the turban snail lives for 30 years, which actually isn't terribly long for a turban snail, Their max lifespan is like 25 years. Really, if you're a turban snail, just work out, probably watch those saturated fats, and make it to 30. Because once you hit 30, you too can become a siren, luring people to their doom on the high seas. And that's generally what they do. They take the form of beautiful women. They either thrash about wildly on the waves, pretending to drown, or do some exotic dancing, standing on the water. Those things being, I guess, equal. Regardless, thirsty sailors pick them up, and then they really wish they hadn’t, because then the turban snail demon will at best rob them, and at worst eat the crew, leave the ghost ship floating. When a lusty woman is thrown into the sea, as I guess they often are, they can turn into a turban snail demon, but they have to do their time as a turban snail first. So it’s only after 30 years of being a lusty turban snail, that things really pay off. In one story, some pirates reportedly helped a drowning young woman. Not because they were honorable men. They were pirates. And they made the reason they rescued her very clear. And she appeared to be down for it. I mean, probably not. There was an entire ship full of swords and angry men, but that's what she said. Regardless, that night, she went from cabin to cabin and hammock to hammock. But as she did so, she stole something from them. Well, two somethings. When morning arrived, the pirates awoke to find those parts of themselves missing. There are two potential outcomes of the story. In one version, they freaked out, threw her overboard, and I guess embraced their new eunuch life. On the other outcome, they paid a massive price in pirate gold for the collection the Turban Snail demon had amassed in the night. So, uh, I mean, let's be real. She took their testicles. And I guess they're sometimes called Kintama, or golden eggs in Japanese. So the punchline goes, that gold was bought with gold. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Colmes. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you
1: next time.